We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. Welcome to another episode. Thank you guys for stopping by today. It is Thursday, July 21st, as I record this. I hope everybody's having an awesome week. Uh, You guys are getting excited for the upcoming football season. Um, Heading down to Los Angeles next week for Pac-12 Media Day. Really excited for that. Excited to see what Dan Lanning, uh, the Oregon players, and then the rest of the Pac-12 coaches and Pac-12 players um, have to say ahead of the 2022 season. And then right after that, fall camp will be rocking and rolling uh, for the Ducks in Eugene. So excited for that. So on today's episode of the Ducks Dish podcast, reminder, you can find us on YouTube live at Oregon Football Max Torres. If you guys are here watching in the live chat, thank you for taking some time out of your day to talk some ball with us. Go ahead and hop in that live chat. Leave me a comment. Leave me a question, and I will try to get to it, do my best to answer it want to see what's on your guys' mind and how you're feeling ahead of the 2022 season and ahead of Pac-12 Media Day about the Ducks. So with all that being said, in today's episode of the Ducks Dish podcast, I am going to to be ranking Oregon's schedule based on difficulty for the 2022 season. Uh, I thought it would be cool to go in reverse order. So By that, I mean that we're going to be going from the easiest game on Oregon's schedule all the way up to the toughest game. And I want to just give my thoughts on those matchups, how I think Oregon could fare. And keep in mind, this is all going to be ahead of fall camp and ahead of the beginning of the season. So these rankings could potentially change, but I thought it'd be something that's fun to get into because the Ducks have a lot of really good games and a lot of their toughest matchups come at home in Onsen Stadium. So it should shape up to be a pretty fun season. I'm sending out the tweet right now just so people can come hang out. All right. A second. Okay. So starting off with the easiest game on Oregon's schedule. Like I said, we're going 12 to 1. I'm going to go Colorado. So the Ducks head to Colorado. Uh, in the 2022 season after facing them at home in Eugene and what was really one of their most commanding victories of the 2021 season aside from Stony Brook. Uh, And that game comes on Saturday, November 5th in Boulder, Colorado. So 
really with, with Colorado, I, I just feel like they don't have a, a ton of options uh, when it comes to their offense, right? They, they lose Jarek Broussard from a year ago. He was a super dynamic back and was really one of their best players when they were in the thick of it a couple years back, right? Under uh, Mike McIntyre um, for that. Uh, well, they were really doing well under Mac, Mike McIntyre, but when the Buffs had their strongest season recently, it was uh, really, I feel like, you know, spearheaded by Jarek Broussard's efforts on the ground carrying the ball. So he transferred to Michigan State to reunite with former head coach Mel Tucker and the Spartans. That's an awesome addition for them, especially after they lose Walker to the NFL. Kenneth Walker, I believe it is. So they lose some of their weapons. Brendan Rice also transfers to USC. He was the top wide receiver on that team. Um, And you could argue the top weapon for the Buffs a year ago in 2021 just really did a little bit of everything. He, he made some of his impact in the return game, whether it be kickoffs or punts, and uh, really was kind of a yards after the catch guy, but also kind of a possession guy too for the Buffs in 2021 through the air. So now that they lose him, you're going to have to get some guys um, to try to fill in for, for some of those losses. I think one of those good weapons that they do have on the roster, Colorado, is running back Alex Fontenot. So that's some reason for confidence, but really it, it feels like this is a lot of work that still lies ahead for head coach Carl Durrell. So I'm going to go ahead and list Colorado as my easiest game for uh, for last year, or sorry, for next year. Um, let's see. Um, good night. <laughs> let's look at these these comments. We got Steezy PDX here. What's going on? Thanks for being here, Gerard. Let's get this program started. We are a program podcast. Uh, I dead weight says. Max got the fresh fade. Thanks for the stream, brother. Thanks for the compliments. My hair was getting out of control. If you guys have been watching the streams for a while, um, you know that my hair was getting pretty pretty wild um, since the since the last uh, stream, and it's just too much to handle. You know, it gets over my ears, and then it looks kind of messy, and then it was like way down, like almost past my eyebrows. So I appreciate the compliments. Uh, and we gotta, we gotta make sure we're staying fresh and, and staying presentable, you know, got the polo. Um, and then yeah, Mikey G's here too. What's going on? What's going on? Mikey G asks, is there a tougher non-conference schedule in the country? Holy cripes. We will be talking about that. Going to try to get to questions, sprinkle the questions in through throughout the show, uh, and just kind of keep on rolling. So we have Colorado at number 12 for Oregon's easiest game of the 2022 season. Like I said, we're going in reverse order. So now that we got the buffs out of the way, we're going to keep working our way down the list. And at number 11, I have the California Golden Bears. This game comes kind of, you know, in the more so in the second half of the season. This is Saturday, October 29th. Oregon hits the road to travel to face Kyle or Justin Wilcox and the Cal Golden Bears on the road in Berkeley. Right around Halloween, this is about as close as you get to a Halloween game. Just really not that concerned about anything that that Cal has on their roster heading into next season. I was listening to the Cover 3 podcast. They do a lot of great work. If you guys uh, have heard of them, that's a CBS Sports Network podcast. Um, And I can't remember who said it, but they were doing their win total podcast. And they said that that offense lacks danger. And I thought that was a really good way to put it um, as far as just not a very impressive team but to mikey g's point and one of the things that i was going to mention cal did almost beat oregon last year that that was one of the 
one of the, I think, most frustrating games, if, if you're looking at it from an Oregon perspective, because they were not a talented roster. They didn't have a, a difference-making quarterback, uh, you know, however you view Chase Garbers. But he was mobile, and, and they hung tough and really gave Oregon – uh, you know, a run for their money at home in Odson. So maybe you could make the argument that Cal is kind of a trap game. I just feel like when we're looking at, thank you, yeah, that's correct. Mikey G says, correction, we almost be ourselves. Ourselves. That's really what it felt like. I mean, this is a team that Cal has consistently been a team that Oregon hasn't really done that well against. You'll remember that last time, um, the last time the Ducks played Cal in Berkeley, they actually lost, but call it a vote of confidence in Dan Lanning, or really, I think it's more so a testament to the players. I think that just this, this roster far out matches what, um, what Cal has to offer. Jake, uh, Jack Plummer comes in from Purdue, just doesn't really seem like he's an addition that inspires a lot of confidence or really strikes a lot of fear into a lot of people. And, and this might be the driest offense in the PAC 12. So I think with the upgraded defensive staff that Oregon has, um, it seems like they should be able to take care of business against Cal, but like we're seeing in the com- in the comments here, um, someone's saying that uh, in all reality, we seem to play down to Cal's level every year. This has to be a team that you show up for and you don't let them, uh, you know, really expose you. You know, this shouldn't be a game that, that Oregon has to worry about. Um, so maybe I'm looking at it in an ideal scenario, but like I said, I think if, if Oregon can really, if Oregon can really hone things in on defense and get the most out of those players out of, out of that side of the ball, which I'm confident Dan Lanning, Tosh Lapoy, uh, Matt Pallage, and the rest of that defensive staff can do, I think that this should be an easy win for Oregon. Uh, but on paper, this shouldn't be that tough of a game. But I will definitely acknowledge that uh, Cal has kind of been a thorn in the side for Oregon uh, for quite a while now. So let's see here. Uh, Moving on to number 10. Um, Maybe this is a little low in some people's eyes, but at number 10, I'm going to put Eastern Washington. Um, So Eastern Washington in in 2021, uh, I believe they went, uh, I believe they went 10 and three. I'm trying to get their schedule back up on my, uh, on my screen here. So Eastern Washington went 10 and three, six and two in the big sky, four and two at home, and then six and one, uh, on the road. So I feel like with, with Eastern Washington, they're a team. You'll remember the last time that they played, these two teams played. It was in Eugene. The Ducks had Vernon Adams, and the Eastern Washington Eagles had a guy by the name of Cooper Cup who went on to win Super Bowl MVP and the Rams' latest win um, in, in that game. So they, they, they're they kind of a team that I feel like they kind of um, – you know, a little bit of a sleeper team. I think it's the easiest game on Oregon's non-conference schedule, but it's a bit of a team that I think a bit of a game that uh, gives you a little bit of cause for pause. I don't think that you compare Eastern Washington to the rest of the country and and the rest of these FCS level teams that uh, other schools are playing. And I don't think that Eastern Washington falls in that same category. They don't seem like as much of a write-off game, but um some interesting things about Eastern Washington. So the, the quarterback position is totally up in the air, totally wide open. Um, but uh, one thing that was interesting when I was doing some research ahead of this podcast, looking at their season last year, they played in five games that were decided by seven or fewer points. So that 10 and three record could, 
look a little bit more like, you know, an, an eight and five, uh, seven and, and six kind of a deal. Um, I'm not saying it was lucky or that they didn't deserve to win those games, but I think that they played in a lot more close games than they expected to. Um, so we'll have to see if, if Eastern Washington shows up for that game uh, against Oregon. Fortunately for the Ducks, that is at home in Eugene. So I think that gives you a little bit more confidence if you're a Duck fan that, that they're going to be winning uh, those those games at home in Eugene. Austin Stadium is, has obviously been a pretty menacing uh, home crowd, home field advantage. So I'm going to have Eastern Washington at number 10. Um, and I think a, a big part of it has to do with the uncertainty at quarterback for them. And then kind of similarly with, uh, with uh, Cal, I think that Oregon just, you know, really has a lot more talent on their roster and this shouldn't be a close game, right? This should not be a close game, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Eastern Washington kind of hung around for a quarter, maybe the first half, because Oregon, keep in mind, Oregon has not been a team that has started games strong for a while. It's, it's, it just hasn't really been a thing. They don't always get, they're not known for getting off to explosive starts, which I feel like is in part why people are excited for this offense. They were a run first offense last year, but maybe uh, this year we see them, you know, kind of just come out swinging out of the gates a little bit more and, and taking it to the other team. So maybe I'm discrediting Eastern Washington a little bit here, um, but just based off of last season and how much of an advantage Oregon should have from a talent standpoint and that game's at home, I'm going to go ahead and rank Eastern Washington at number 10. Reminder, if you guys are just joining us, we are ranking Oregon's uh, 2022 schedule from easiest to toughest game, and we're still in the early part of it, and I got Eastern Washington at number 10. Okay, moving on here in our schedule ranking for Oregon in the 2022 season, I'm going to give Arizona my number nine spot um, as the for the toughest matchups for Oregon heading into 2022. Really ugly season for Jed Fish and the Arizona Wildcats in 2022. Sorry, 2021. They went just one and eleven. That lone win came against the Cal Golden Bears, and man, was that a shootout. 10-3 to win for the Wildcats, and uh, that was at home in Tucson, but uh, really just a tough ending for them you know, to end the season. They, they did hang in there with Utah a little bit, final score of 38-29 to uh, for that game, which was also a home game for the Wildcats, and they just got blown out by Washington State, 44-18. to that was on the road, and then they ended the season with their rivalry game against Arizona State in Tempe, 38-15 to loss for the Arizona Wildcats. And I think even though I'm ranking them very low on Oregon's upcoming schedule for this next season, I'll be honest, Arizona is one of the most intriguing teams for me in the Pac-12. Yeah, they were horrible last year, but if you've been keeping an eye on Arizona and Jed Fish throughout the offseason – They've made some really interesting moves. I think Jed Fish has really overhauled this roster. I think it was around, it was around like 30 players, I want to say, um, you know, com combined that either departed, uh, moved on, transferred, but they also added through uh, the 2022 recruiting class, whether it be high school rankings or the transfer portal. So I feel like Jed Fish has done just about as much as any other coach in the country, just from a roster personnel standpoint, 
and you have some big names that are on that roster now, right? I think the biggest one that I'm going to keep my eye on is Jaden DeLora, the former Washington State quarterback who uh, stays in conference and makes that transfer south to the Pac-12 South after balling out for the Cougars uh, as a true freshman. I just really liked what I saw from him uh, on the Palouse. Just He kind of wears his heart on his sleeve and is just a, a grinder, an absolute gamer. Dude plays with tons of fire, tons of energy, lots of passion. Um, but but sometimes, you know, the, that boldness in his game can get him into trouble a little bit. But uh, really like how he presents himself as a playmaker, can, can really be mobile in the pocket and get himself out of trouble. I would think that he's probably the favorite. He'd probably be my favorite for starting quarterback out there for the Wildcats. Um, but I don't believe they've named a starter just yet. That's a team I'm going to have to keep a close eye on. But they also have a very talented true freshman coming in from Servite in 2022 quarterback Noah Fafita. And then who is Noah Fafita going to be throwing the ball to? Jaden Delora throwing the ball to? Might be a little bit of salt in the wound here for Oregon fans. But Tetairoa McMillan, the elite wide receiver, also out of Servite in Anaheim, California, he is the Arizona Wildcats' highest-rated recruit in program history. Uh, he immediately comes in and really is, is one of the most talented wide receivers uh, on that roster. Um, but I feel like he's just another example of, of the really talent of all the talent that Jed Fish has tried to inject this roster with ahead of next season. And then you also have um, Jacob Cowan. Jacob Cowan, I believe he landed on the Bolitnikoff Award um, watch list, I want to say. I'm going to have to do a little bit of research here um, to, to double check. Because um, that, that, uh, the Bolitnikoff watch list uh, came out today. And um, there, were some, there were some guys on that roster from the Pac-12. Oregon didn't have any, but that's not a massive surprise just because um, – just because – they lost a lot of guys from last year. It's the first year offense under Kenny Dillingham. There's just their program in transition. There's a lot of change. Not a lot of guys that played wide receiver this upcoming year um, started last year. So I think that's something that you you have to keep an eye on. And of course, as I'm looking for this, it's uh, it's really taking its sweet time trying to give me the the uh, the watch list. Let me give me a sec here. Always trying to do this on uh, on the fly. Okay, here we go. Okay, Jordan Addison was obviously the the headliner after winning the award last year at Pitt. Jake Bobo at UCLA. He was another big one. Jacob Cowing at Arizona. He is an Arizona native, and he comes um, he he, came, he comes from UTEP. Uh, definitely not a, a bigger school um, in terms of college football, but but definitely he's he's doing. Uh, he's ready to do his thing with with the Wildcats. So I think that there's a lot of room for growth for Arizona in 2022. Hard to go anywhere but up after winning only one game. But another thing that I think you have to keep an eye on here is it kind of feels like it could be a trap game for Oregon. And I think that a lot of people uh, like to use that. Maybe it's overused in, in college football media. Um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, it's a little overused in college football media, but Oregon, whether they're playing Arizona or Arizona State, they always kind of seem to have a little bit of a tough time in the desert. Um, and it took them till the fourth quarter last year to put Arizona away, right? Uh, ben Williams had that phenomenal pick six, and I think that that really 
um, that really injected a lot of energy into that team. And then they were ultimately able to, to put them away. Uh, but it's, it's been a little bit of a rough go at times for, for Oregon against Arizona, against Arizona State. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and slot Arizona at number nine for Oregon's uh, toughest, toughest games on the schedule heading into next season. We are getting some comments here, so let's see. Let's see what other ones we we have to get to. Uh, what else is on your guys' mind? Uh, let's see. Okay, yeah, this is from Mikey G talking about uh, when we were talking about uh, Eastern Washington. If Stony Brook can keep it close, Eastern Washington can definitely be a sleeper upset, but still agree should win handedly. Steve says, I would like to see the Ducks open up early leads so that their backup players can get some time in and help the starters avoid injuries. A season-ending injury is a dagger to the team. Yeah, this, if you guys have been watching the show for a while, this is probably one of my biggest, uh, you know, I don't want to call it gripes, but this was one of the toughest things for Oregon last year. They were playing in so many close games. So as a result, they couldn't get a bunch of these talented freshmen or underclassmen that don't start any playing time. They couldn't get them reps which is why I think, especially at the quarterback position, when, when some people wanted have been wanting to see Ty Thompson play so badly for so long, the season ended. He, he didn't play in either of the Utah blowouts. He didn't play in the bowl game. Um, you still preserve his red shirt, but he's just very, very green. He has all the potential in the world, incredible athletic gifts. He, people were raving about him at the Manning Passing Academy, but just a guy who really hasn't seen the field that much except for uh, a little bit against that against Colorado when it was a blowout. So that was an ideal scenario to get him in. But then he also played for majority of that second half against Stony Brook after Anthony Brown got banged up. So I totally agree with your point, Steve. I think Oregon absolutely needs to put, put these games away earlier rather than later, especially against some of the lower tier teams that they're going to be facing this year in the Pac-12, even more so for the guys at home. Let's see. Um, I have a question here. Uh, I have a question, Max. I'd like to know what the attitude of the team is now after tragically losing Spencer. Um, thank you for bringing this up. I, I wanted to mention this um, at the top of the show, but I forgot. So that's on me. Uh, there is going to be a celebration of life for Spencer Webb today, Thursday, July 21st at Odson Stadium on the club level. Uh, the time for that is six o'clock, um, but the doors are opening at 5:15. If you're looking for parking, parking is going to be in the East Otson lot, and then you can also watch. Uh, if you guys can't make it to the celebration and you still want to tune in, you can watch the live stream. So I'm going to go ahead and put the link to the up the updated link for Spencer Webb Celebration of Life uh, in the chat there. If you guys want to tune in. Um, you know, as far as the, the attitude of the team, I, I just think that they're, you know, it's it's obviously still a super rough time uh, for the, the Oregon players, the Oregon coaches, the, the whole Oregon community. Um, it's definitely a tough time anytime you lose a teammate like this. Um, but I think that, um, you know, they're, they're really coming together and um, just trying to, to rally, rally around each other uh, in this difficult time of need. So um, definitely just want to, you know, put my thoughts and prayers out there um, in this tough time, but I uh, appreciate you asking that question um, and reminding me because I wanted to make sure that 
people knew about the celebration of life if you're able to attend in Eugene or if you would like to, to watch on YouTube to uh, attend virtually. Uh, reminder, the link is there in the live chat if you guys want to attend that event um, later this evening. So it's a little tricky to transition from that, um, like, I, like I've noted before, but I want to try to keep it rolling uh, if we can. So let's see, I had, uh, I had Arizona at number nine, and then at number eight, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, at Oregon State. I think the Oregon State Beavers, I'm going to go ahead and give them eight out of number 12 on Oregon's most difficult games on the 2022 schedule. Maybe this is putting a little bit too much faith in the Beavs from the 2021 season, um, but I was very impressed by what we saw from Jonathan Smith and the Beavs in Corvallis. It almost feels like they could be, I don't know if this is super bold to just say that, I think they could be the number two team in the Pac-12 North. In the Pac-12 North. Make sure that, you, that you're hearing me right. I'm not saying in the entire Pac-12, but in the Pac-12 North, I feel like they could be the number two team quite easily. We already talked about Cal, how there's not really anything special going on there. We'll talk about Washington. They're in a coaching transition. Washington State, not exactly in a coaching transition, but you lose a lot of really talented players from last year's squad on both sides of the ball. Um, and then Oregon, they're looking really strong, obviously. Stanford, kind of an interesting situation there on the farm. Um, don't want to talk too much about them. Um, let's see. So I'm going to go ahead, like I said, Oregon State at number eight. Looks like Chance Nolan is the guy for the Beavs at quarterback uh, last year. Uh, they've been rocking with Tristan Jevia for a while, but it looks like they've settled in on him. Uh, Deshaun Fenwick is looking like he's the guy uh, at running back. There was a really talented guy um, that they had last year, um, but the name is escaping me right now. Um, shoot. Give me a second. I'm trying to... He was really, really good, so I feel like I need to uh, I need to make sure that uh, I get his name. Um, but they took me to the wrong roster, so give me just a second. Um, I definitely needed to prep this a little bit more. Apologies, everybody. Um, all right. Oh, B.J. Baylor, that's who it was. B.J. Baylor was an absolute beast last year. Um, I really liked watching him, and the Oregon State offensive line was – was definitely a strength for them. I'm not sure how many of their offensive line are returning, but uh, with B.J. Baylor gone, it looks like Deshaun Fenwick's going to be one of their go-to guys carrying the rock out of the backfield. A lot of people are really excited about Luke Musgrave as one of the top tight ends in the Pac-12. Uh, I feel like um, a couple guys in Salt Lake City for Kyle Woodyham's Utes would have a, a little bit to argue about with that uh, for a distinction of top tight end in the conference, but the offensive line is typically a strength for Oregon State, so I think that bodes well for their offense. Not a ton of crazy talented playmakers there um, on offense, but they do have some good pieces. A couple of guys that come to mind, Trayshawn Harrison, Tyjon Lindsey. We'll see if they can take that step, that next step forward as an offense. Um, I think anytime you have a really strong run game, that really sets you up for some success, whether you're talking play action or maybe a little bit more creativity with, with RPOs. I don't really think Chance Nolan is necessarily that guy um, from an RPO standpoint. But on the defensive side of the ball, uh, you do lose big-time linebacker Avery Roberts. I think he was one of the top players on that defense from 2021. So he's going to be a guy that's going to be a little tough to replace. You do get J defensive back Jaden Grant 
back from the 2021 season. I thought he was very, very strong uh, in the secondary for them. So he's going to be someone that I'm sure you want to try to build your defense around a little bit. Road game at Oregon State. Uh, there was that news a couple days ago, or maybe it was yesterday, uh, that that Oregon-Oregon State game had sold out. Um, doesn't seem like it's exactly the, the biggest accomplishment with seeing that uh, Research Stadium is undergoing some massive construction. So it's something like 26,000 fans. Um, Gerard saying uh, versus Oregon State, the mold bowl trend that you are still still waiting to see if there's a new uh, a new name for this Oregon Oregon State rivalry after it was previously called the Civil War. Uh, if you guys have any suggestions for the Oregon Oregon State rivalry game, drop them in the comments. I've heard uh, platypus platypus bowl um platypus bowl as as one of the suggestions that was floated out there uh looking to see a, a new name for this oregon oregon state rivalry game but uh it has sold out i don't really think that research stadium is too difficult of a venue to play at definitely not like a super hostile home environment um especially like we said with the construction going on less fans will be able to attend i know oregon did lose there i want to say it was 2016 or 2017 when it was a really rainy day in corvallis but not exactly an excuse when you play in Oregon. Um, so I think, I don't know. I, I was struggling a little bit. Um, I was struggling a little bit on where I wanted to put Oregon state because I really did like what they did last year, but I also don't want to put too much stock in one season. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. There you have it. Oregon state at number eight. All right. Number seven on Oregon's, uh, schedule for 2022. Reminder, we're going in reverse order. I'm going to go Washington State. The Washington State Cougars are led by Jake Dickert, who was the former defensive coordinator who got named interim head coach and then promoted to full-time head coach following the departure of Nick Rolovich, firing of Nick Rolovich, however you want to put it. Um, so got the Cougs. They're, uh, they're coming off a pretty strong season. I mean, all things considered, right? Um, I think after last season, you kind of had you. I think last season definitely leaves you feeling pretty confident if you're a Cougs fan. But at the same time, they did lose a tremendous amount of talent, really on both sides of the ball. Um, starting with Jaden Delora, who I talked about earlier when he headed down south to Tucson to play for Jed Fish and the Arizona Wildcats. You don't have any. You don't have any more Max Borgie, who was really talented overall. Battled a lot of back pain, back issues while he was in college. Uh, Dion McIntosh was a really talented running back. I liked what I saw out of him, but both of those guys are gone now. You lose Abraham Lucas along the offensive line, super talented offensive tackle. Um, and I think they did lose a couple other pieces to that offensive line. So that makes it a little bit tricky. I think you also lost your top two wide receivers, uh, coming off of last season. So I looked it up here. Cougs went seven and six last year. So they, their record wasn't that much better than the, the beeves last year, but, what was inspiring a lot of confidence, I think, was, um, you know, they won three out of their four final games, uh, lost a really close one to BYU, 21 to 19, uh, lost to Oregon, and uh, Eugene, 38 to 14, thought Oregon handled that game pretty well after it started off a little slow. Uh, but the Washington State Cougars lost 24 to 21 to Central Michigan and the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Uh, but again, you're losing close games, you're, you're showing the, the fight. Um, I think that Jake Dickert got his team to really buy in. And I think that's such a crucial part, especially when you're a program in transition. 
what else do I have on the Cougs? I think another reason that you got to have some confidence if you're the Cougs is Cameron Ward comes in, top FCS quarterback. I believe he won the Walter, Walter Payton uh, Award, which is the FCS equivalent to the Heisman Trophy. So it doesn't have a ton of weapons to work with, but Deshaun Stribling is a wide receiver that I'm pretty excited about. You got to feel good about him just as a little bit of a proven commodity. Like I said, you lose a couple of those wide receivers. I didn't know that um, Washington State's new offensive coordinator was Cameron Ward's coach at uh, Incarnate Word. So you see that those guys both come over together, and I think that'll be good for it bodes well for Cameron Ward. Give you a little bit of consistency to work with at the most important position on the field. Doesn't look like this is much of a quarterback battle at all for the Cougs. Cameron Ward looks like he's the guy, but to, to advocate a little bit for the Cougs here and why I think this could be a tough game for Oregon, you have a, a new quarterback, one who's incredibly mobile as well. Uh, mobile quarterbacks always add a new dimension of complexity uh, in a matchup like this. And you have to go to Pullman, to the Palouse, um, not a location that has been particularly kind to Oregon. You'll remember during the Mike Leach years, uh, Cougs and Ducks was, was always a really intriguing game. Even if Washington State didn't have a super talented roster, they were much more of a developmental scheme scheme around you, scheme out scheme you type of a team. And I think with, with Jake Dickert, um, he's, he's got these guys ready. And I feel like uh, some of those elements, like I said, with Cam Ward coming in and, and hopefully a little bit more of an exciting offense, um, I think the run and shoot with Nick Rolovich was, was exciting, but it was also a little bit less common and maybe a little bit more difficult for guys to learn. So for the reasons like that, I'm going to go ahead and give Washington State my number seven spot on Oregon's schedule for 2022. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here uh, from breaking down Oregon's schedule heading into the next season. If you guys are here live, this is more so for the people that are listening on the podcasting platforms. Stick around. We got more Ducks Dish podcast for you after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. We're rocking and rolling Thursday, July 21st as we record this. Remember, you can get first access to the podcast if you tune in live to my YouTube channel. That is at Oregon Football Max Torres. If you guys are watching live, wanted to thank you guys for stopping by. Reminder to smash that like button, smash the subscribe button, and hit the notification bell. Uh, hopefully that's working a little bit better now. Uh, so you can make sure you don't miss out on any future live streams, but YouTube always gets the podcasts first. So make sure you guys do that and share the show. Tremendous help to me and what I'm doing covering the Ducks. So we are at number six now for those of you keeping track. And with the number six spot, I'm going to go with the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, Stanford Cardinal are always... Uh, an interesting matchup for Oregon. Definitely one of the better rivalries for the Ducks in the Pac-12. Maybe it's not technically recognized as a rivalry, but there's just been so many good games between these two teams. I don't know how you could not call it a good rivalry at this point. Stanford's coming off a pretty rough 2021 campaign, going 3-9 and nine under head coach David Shaw. One of their best games of the year, if you want to call it a good game. Uh, I'm sure the fans would want to call it a good game. It was a 31-24 win in overtime over the Ducks. Anthony Brown had a pretty rough game uh, in that one. No Joe Moorhead. Remember, he had that medical emergency. Um, I believe it was with his appendix, um, but he was not available. Um, maybe it wasn't his appendix. Someone will have to fact check me on that. I just brought it up to say that he was not available because of a medical emergency that was non-COVID related. They also didn't have Bennett Williams, who suffered a season any injury in practices leading up to that game. So there were obviously some factors that were working against the Ducks in that game. Anthony Brown had um, Anthony Brown had that uh, miss that misread on the pitch to CJ Verdell. CJ Verdell tore his tore or didn't tear. He suffered a season-ending leg injury, lower leg injury in that game. So um, that's the bell cow back for Oregon. You're losing your top ball carrier. That's another thing that you have to overcome. Um, and then a lot of people want to talk about Kayvon Thibodeau's targeting call that got him ejected. Um, just how there were a lot of really questionable calls down the down the final stretch in this game. But that was a big win for Stanford. We're focusing on Stanford right now. They uh, didn't make a bowl game, and they ended the season on a really, really sour note. Just four huge blowouts, 52-7 to to Utah at home, 40, or sorry, 35-14 to loss at Oregon State. 41 to 11 loss to Cal. I believe that was the first win for Cal in that rivalry series, the game or the big game. Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to get those mixed up uh, between Ohio state and Michigan, but I know it says, I think it's the game or the big game. And then they lost to Notre Dame 45 to 14 at home, but Notre Dame was on a whole other level compared to Stanford last year. So yeah, uh, talking in the comments here, that game sucked and we lost CJ to injury. Uh, it was, it was just a rough game from, from an Oregon standpoint. It, that game was interesting because um, what was cool last year is that a lot of the away teams, a lot of the away schools, they would let us go down to the field for the last five minutes of the fourth quarter. And it was a little bit of a uh, mishmash. And it was kind of, um, 
it was kind of um, a mess towards the end down the stretch, but I knew I wanted to go down to the field. I grew up going to Stanford games. A lot of you guys know I'm from the Bay Area, so it was really cool to take that perspective and to be able to cover it from a journalism standpoint, um, you know, as, as the publisher of Ducks Digest. So I was one of the only reporters that got to go down, and Oregon was ahead at that point, but things were getting a little bit a little bit hairy, a little bit interesting down the line there. And then sure enough, Stanford forced the game into overtime and, and there were a lot of big plays. I remember seeing Noah Sewell just kind of hobbling around, just, you know, being a cyborg and battling injury and, and still just leaving it all out there on the field. But that was a pretty interesting game. So talking about Stanford heading into next year, I feel like they've really fallen off as a traditional Pac-12 power. And Oregon kind of, they didn't kind of, they did take their spot as a premier team in the Pac-12 uh, you know, for a good four or five years, I feel like it was Stanford Pac-12 championship, Stanford in the Rose Bowl, uh, and David Shaw really made a good name for himself as uh, not only a developer of talent, but a really good on-field product year in and year out. So I didn't think that it was going to get as rough as it did last year, but it, it really has. I feel like I, I still have some confidence in, in David Shaw. I think he's a good coach, but obviously he hasn't really put it together of late. Uh, fortunately for Stanford, they do return a, a pretty solid quarterback in Tanner McKee. Um, maybe not the best decision-making at times, but I think the physical gifts are certainly there. I think he's around 6'6", 220. Uh, so he's one of the uh, better quarterbacks that Oregon's going to have to go against this year in their conference schedule. Um, Stanford has also increased their recruiting. Uh, they're doing a little bit better in recruiting. I feel like Stanford's one of those teams that's really well positioned to benefit from this NIL era. Um, think about schools that can sell the value of their degree. Man, Stanford's got to be right up there. They send their tight end U. Uh, they send guys to the league, it feels like, every year, and they're they're really not, aside from tight end, I don't think they're necessarily known for a certain position. I just feel like they're very well-rounded when it comes to developing talent. Um, you know, some, some good defensive backs. Caillou Blue Kelly is someone that I'm really excited about to see in that secondary. Usually I have some pretty good trench talent. Um, that uh, You had Booker last year. Solomon Thomas, somewhat recently, my Niners took a chance on him and he was kind of a bust. Um, but I feel like with, with Stanford, they always give Oregon a good run for their money. Fortunately for Oregon, they get this game at home. We're going to see if, if Stanford still wants to deploy those massive wide receiver tight end hybrids. Those are always tough to defend. But Dan Lenny and this new staff in the secondary has have absolutely prioritized length. Uh, wouldn't be what surprised if that's a game where we see more Triquez Bridges, more Brian Addison as some of the taller defensive backs in Oregon secondary. You'll remember that Triquez Bridges got a lot of snaps as a corner last year, but heading into the 2022 season, it looks like he might be playing a little bit more of safety, which was his uh, you know native position coming out of high school where he was a top ball hawking safety for Lynette out there in Alabama. So I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting just to see if, if moving back to safety is ultimately something that helps make him a little bit more comfortable. So I got Stanford at number six. They always give Oregon a good run, but Oregon gets them at home. Um, let's see what we have here. Mikey G says, fun fact, Stanford is seven and five against UO when we're ranked in the top 10. That's what's so interesting. It's they, they always show up. They always give Oregon a, a battle and, the, the timing of when this game comes on Oregon's schedule is always interesting. Um, fortunately for Oregon, you could say it's coming earlier in the season, so maybe there's not as much on the line. But for Oregon, like I've said, especially after all this realignment stuff broke, you got a ball out in the Pac-12 while you're still in the Pac-12 because it is a weak conference. But the timing of this game isn't that great. 
BYU is not going to be an easy game. That's on September 17th, just two weeks before Oregon faces Stanford. And uh, they could be coming off of what we may be calling a quote-unquote trap game against the Cougs just the week before in Pullman. Stanford always shows up, like we said. Cascadia Surfrider says Stanford and Washington need to step up because we need more balance in the pack, especially if it still exists when UCLA and UCLA leaves. Uh, when they leave. Yeah, it's pretty much to my point. Um, Washington's another school that we haven't talked about just yet in the rankings, but we got Stanford at number six. Uh, so it's it's going to be an interesting one to see how Oregon does when they're matched up. Look at these teams coming up next year. So Stanford number six, that game Saturday, October 1st at home in Eugene. So that helps give Oregon uh, a bit of an edge. Uh, definitely going to help them a little bit um, while they're welcoming the Stanford Cardinal to Watson Stadium. All right, moving on. We have the UCLA Bruins at number five. UCLA and Chip Kelly are coming off of an eight and four season. Had some big wins, with the biggest one being against uh, LSU um, last year. UCLA uh, was supposed to be in the SDCCU Holiday Bowl against North Carolina State, but that game got canceled. I'm pretty sure it was because of COVID. Um, but they were able to end their season on a pretty high note they won each of their last three games winning 44 to 20 over colorado 62 to 33 over usc in the battle for la i'm pretty sure that's not what it's called but i kind of just like that uh i like that rivalry name uh and they beat cal 42 to 14 um just after thanksgiving to round out the season a couple of notes on ucla and kind of what they uh what they have on the roster here heading into 2022. Dorian Thompson Robinson returns at quarterback. I feel like expectations have to be really high because I think when Chip Kelly got named the head coach for UCLA, it seemed like Dorian Thompson Robinson was the perfect quarterback for his system, for the type of offense he liked to run, for, for the hurry up, for having mobile quarterbacks. So I feel like DTR still hasn't quite reached his ceiling. Um, and there's a little bit more that's that's left on the plate there for him as a quarterback, but it's his last year in college, and I feel like he's going to be pretty motivated. Uh, and then Zach Charbonnet, the talented running back who transferred from Michigan, originally a Southern California native, he returns to tote the rock for the UCLA Bruins. And then another storyline for this game, this is a game that Oregon gets at home, so this is one of their tougher games, but that's kind of one of the big superlatives for Oregon's 2022 schedule they get all of their really tough games, almost all of their tough games, you could say. We talked about Washington or Cal maybe being a little bit of a trap game at home. So they get UCLA at home. Chip Kelly's back in Eugene. They just signed a, a contract extension for Chip Kelly. I believe it was last year. Um, but I don't know. If you're the administration at UCLA, are you happy with with what Chip Kelly has been able to do during his time there? Um Let's see here. And I think that, that UCLA has been recruiting a little bit better. Maybe not so much in the 2022 class, but I think they are recruiting better in the 2023 class. They're doing a better job of, of keeping some of that top in-state talent at home. Certainly in the Southern California area, you look at linebacker Trey Edwards, running back Roger Robinson, who Oregon had been recruiting for quite a while. Both of those guys were Oregon targets in the 2023 recruiting class. But they've both announced their commitments to UCLA in the past couple months. So I feel like um, UCLA's defense hasn't been too scary. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, Sean Ryan, one of their offensive linemen, their offensive linemen has been really good. Their offensive line has been very good. They've been able to run the ball really effectively. They, they lose 
Kyle Phillips to the NFL. Chase Coda, as we all know, makes his way north to Eugene. He's someone I'm super excited about as a breakout candidate at wide receiver, especially after what we saw in the spring game. So I've got UCLA at five. I think it's going to be a tough matchup for Oregon, but uh, certainly a game that I think you should be confident in. Oregon was going to handedly win that game last year on college game day on the big stage, but a couple late interceptions from Anthony Brown uh, gave UCLA and the Bruins new life until DJ James had that game ceiling interception to ultimately close the door on that matchup at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Question here from Cascadia Surfrider. You think Chip will get a warm welcome back to Eugene with them bolting from the Pac-12? Uh, man, I don't know. I, th- I, would, I would think not because if you're an Oregon fan, you're probably uh, feeling a little bit um, feeling a little bit left out here. And we don't even know if they're officially going to make it to the Big Ten because the California Regents um, and Gavin Newsom looks like they're pushing back a little bit on that move. You'll remember that USC is a private school, so they can do what they want. But UCLA is a public school, uh, UC school. So they have a little bit of an extra barrier to fight uh, getting to the Big Ten here. So I feel like in general, Chip is pretty well perceived in Oregon, in Eugene, by Duck fans just because he helped get them to uh, to prominence, I feel like, right? They, he really revolutionized college football and the college football offense with that hurry-up attack with with some of the, the great teams he was able to put together with, with Marcus Mariota, DeAnthony Thomas, Kenyar Barner, um, a lot of really talented guys, a lot of talented teams under uh, Chip Kelly as the Oregon head coach. But maybe things, maybe it is, maybe the relationships have soured a little bit for, for Oregon fans with uh, Chip Kelly since uh, they're going to be going to the Big Ten, or at least they're trying to go to the Big Ten and leave the Pac-12. So I feel like overall, Chip will probably get a warm welcome. I don't think this was necessarily a move that was spearheaded by Chip. It was definitely something that the two LA schools have been working in tandem uh, on with, with USC and, and UCLA. So I, I feel like they should still, he should still probably get a warm welcome just because of everything he's done for the Oregon program during his time in Eugene. Mikey G asks, or Mikey G says rather, UCLA is the better LA team again. Uh, yeah, I think if we're just going off of last season, I think that there's definitely a good conversation there around UCLA being the better team. I feel like USC has just drastically overhauled their roster with the top transfer portal class. Uh, all the talent that Lincoln Riley was able to bring with him from Oklahoma, uh, as well as just the recruiting trail, right? He poached a ton of guys in that 2022 recruiting class. And then 2023 top quarterback Malachi Nelson was a former Oklahoma pledge, and he is going to be playing for Lincoln Riley and is a 2023 USC commit now. But I do feel like that's kind of where things are at until USC shows me differently on the field, unless USC proves otherwise, I would also count myself in the boat of UCLA being the better LA team for now, but uh, man, plenty of talent for Lincoln Riley to work with there in Los Angeles. All right. At number four on our list for the toughest games on Oregon's 2022 schedule, I'm going to go with the Washington Huskies. And this one might be a little bit interesting because Washington had a terrible uh, season in 2020, 2021 going four and eight. Um, I'm going to bring up their schedule right now just to make sure I can reference some some games from last year. Let's see here. That's not their official website. Hold on. Okay, so the Huskies went four and eight last year, just three and six in Pac-12 play, two and five at home on Montlake at the greatest setting in college football, as they like to call it. 
Um, it is a pretty nice setting. I'll give them that. I was there last year at that game, and it was a really cool game. That was my first time at Husky Stadium, uh, and they were the Huskies were two and three uh, on the road. Lost uh, to Michigan, and I'm sure Duck fans want me to say this. They lost to Montana to start the season, so Oregon fans aren't going to let them live that one down. Oregon got the win 26-16 last year on a very uh, cold, rainy, windy night in Seattle, but it's great for Oregon to get this game. Again, like I was saying, important to get that game at home, Um, and this is a rivalry game. Rivalry games always make things more interesting, right? So even though they had a horrible season last year, I figured the offense has to get better. It was definitely a pretty dry offense for Washington under Dylan Morris as quarterback last year. Uh, I think Kalen DeBoer being, you know, kind of a top West Coast offensive mind. I think that there's definitely some reason to think that the offense is going to get better. Um, But who's going to be quarterback for the Huskies? There's kind of three names that you want to focus on. Sam Heward being one of the, the top quarterback commits in program history. You have Dylan Morris, who I mentioned played for the Huskies last year, and then Michael Penix, who transfers in from Indiana. I think there's a lot of big playability there, but his decision-making really scares me, uh, and I don't think that that's uh, you know a guy, if he were to be quarterback, that you'd really be too scared of. I think if you're Kalen DeBoer, you want to go with Sam Heward. You have nothing to lose. You're coming off a 4-8 and eight season. You're definitely in a bit of a rebuild uh, with, with the Huskies. So even though Oregon definitely has the more talented roster here, um, and they are coming off the better season. I'm going to go ahead and put Washington at number four because I think rivalry games are always super interesting. And then now we're going to get into the top three. Um, let's see. I've got a couple questions here, so I'm going to I'm going to see if I can get to some of these. And take a little drink here. Shout out Spindrift Sparkling Water. That's what I, I usually try to drink that or water or Snapple during the podcast. For those of you that are curious, question from Christopher. Hey, Max, at one point in the season, would you, at what point in the season would or do you want to change out Bono for one of the underclassmen, either Ty or Jay, to give them actual live game reps? Yeah, we have to see who's going to win that starting quarterback job, but a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of us are you know, of the opinion that it looks like it's Bo Nix's job to lose. He looks like he's the projected starter right now heading into fall camp. Important to note the staff has not announced a starting quarterback, but we're just operate, operating um, on the uh, on the assumption that Bo Nix is going to be the starter. I don't know. I think that there's reason to be skeptical about what he's done at the college level, um, but you see the upside as a playmaker, just that play against LSU. You're not going to get that every game or every series, obviously, but that play against LSU is kind of what I feel like shows you a little bit of the ceiling with, with him just being able to extend plays, be mobile, uh, just be a pest for front sevens that the the ducks are going to face. But in regard to a possible quarterback change, if that were to come during the season, I feel like this goes back to a previous point that we've been talking about and that I've been talking about for a while is if you can just get those games and under control and then get some big leads um, but this is tough. I don't know when you when you really make the change, if you want to make a quarterback change, because you've got to think about a quarterback's confidence. If, if you are to make a change, um, it's pretty definitive. You can't really be wishy-washy and kind of have guys rotating in, but maybe this is a battle that, that uh, bleeds into the regular season as far as the quarterback competition in Eugene, uh, but I, I don't really envision that being the case right now. I'd say I feel a little bit more confident about Jay Butterfield 
um, uh, as opposed to Ty Thompson. Just from a decision-making process in the game, I think that's a, a big area that people are looking for Ty to um, to progress in. Um, but I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to evaluate with uh, regard to what we saw last season, uh, how, how poor the offense was performing, and then the staff still didn't put Ty in. I wonder if that was because they were on their way out. Really not sure. Kind of impossible to say. Um but yeah, it's tough. If you're making a quarterback change, you, you really kind of have to be all in with it. You can't really be wishy-washy because like I said, it could hurt the confidence of the guy that you're bringing out. And then it could all, you need to show confidence in that guy that you're bringing in. So it's, it's really tough. I mean, you want to give them game reps, ideally every game, if you can make the most out of the, the um, well, I was going to say make the most out of the four game red shirt rule, but both Ty and Jay have already utilized their, their red shirts. Um, I want to say, because even though the 2020 year didn't count, Ty wasn't here yet, but uh, they both redshirted last season. So they've both already used their red shirts. So in a way, I guess, now that I say that, it makes me think you have nothing to lose by kind of rotating some guys in. But I feel like ideally for, for any team, you'd like to have consistent quarterback play and just have your guy be the guy at quarterback. This is your guy. This is who's going to lead our offense for, for next year. And, you know, hopefully the, the, that guy, whoever it is, ends up performing at a high enough level where you can just stand by him and he can be your, your consistent quarterback for the uh, 2022 season. All right. Number three on Oregon's toughest games in the 2022 schedule. I'm going with the BYU Cougars. Um, this was a, a little bit, I wouldn't say it's much of, it was much of a toss up. I think these top three games are, are pretty obvious when it comes to ranking Oregon's toughest games. Uh, I think for BYU, the biggest thing that comes to mind with them, they were undefeated against the Pac-12 last year. So that certainly has to inspire some confidence in the Cougars. They have an absolutely brutal schedule in 2022 uh, as their function as an independent for, I believe this is the, is this the last year? Are they going to the Big 12 in 2023? Uh, someone might have to check that for me. Um, uh, heading into the 2023 season. I'm going to go ahead and look up their 2021 schedule to see how they did just to make sure that I'm informing that make sure that I'm getting the right stats and info and all of that from last year. Okay. So let's see, I got to count these because it didn't, doesn't show it for me. All right. So they had 10 wins and 10 and three. It looks like 10 and three for the BYU Cougs. Losses coming to UAB in the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. That was a 31-28 game. Really close loss for the Cougars. And then uh, they lost to Baylor 38 to 24. That was uh, on the road in Waco. And uh, we all know what happened with Baylor. Uh, Dave Aranda and the Baylor Bears won the Big 12 title last year. And then they also lost, the Cougars did, to the Utah Utes in that in-state rivalry, 26-17. I believe that's called the Holy War. That's a pretty interesting uh, rivalry. I know that those fans are crazy passionate um, when it comes to football in the state of Utah. But I'm just going to go ahead and read through the, the, not, the schedule for BYU this upcoming season. You start off with South Florida on the road in Tampa. Then Baylor returns to Provo for uh, the other half of that home and home game. And then you have to go to Eugene for Oregon. Uh, then you have Wyoming at home, Utah state on the road in Provo. It looks like 
um, is, no, you no, that's at home. Sorry, um, that's a home game because uh, Utah State is in Logan, I believe. And then Notre Dame, they play Notre Dame at Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, which is going to be a really cool game, I think. Then they have Arkansas uh, at home. Arkansas is definitely a really up-and-coming SEC program. Love what Sam Pittman is building there. Then they go to Virginia to play Liberty. Uh, they have East Carolina, Boise State, Utah State, and then wrapping the season up against Stanford. So BYU has an absolutely brutal uh, season, brutal schedule coming up. But I think that there's some reasons uh, that you got to keep an eye on the Cougars if you're an Oregon fan. They do return. I think they're one of a handful of schools in the entire country. I remember hearing or reading this somewhere that returns their head coach in Kalani Sataki and a starting quarterback in Jaron Hall. Uh, I think Jaron Hall, he was the number two rusher last year uh, on that team. Uh, so he had, I think, so, like 300 rushing yards. So he's a guy that can damage, do some damage with his feet, make you pay if he's, if you guys aren't keeping, if the defense is not keeping him honest. Puka Nakua, really good wide receiver that I liked coming out of high school, ended up going to Washington after he was being recruited by Oregon ended up transferring away from the Huskies to play for BYU in his home state of Utah. Uh, but he's definitely looking like the go-to guy in the passing game. The Cougars do lose running back. Hopefully I'm saying this right. Lapini, Lapini, uh, Katoa, and, uh, or sorry, no. Lapini, Katoa looks like he's going to be the go-to running back after the departure of Tyler Algier. He was the leading rusher for the BYU Cougars in 2021. So I feel like there's, there's a lot on the table for Oregon because this is going to be a really tough game in that non-conference slate. This goes back to one of the, one of the comments earlier in the, in this, in the live stream when Mikey G said, is there a tougher non-con schedule in the country? Holy cripes. Um, BYU is a very respectable program uh, program uh, as far as just nationally. Um, I, I have a better uh, knowledge of BYU from a basketball standpoint because I went to Gonzaga and they were always a thorn and the side of the Gonzaga Bulldogs. So this is not a college basketball podcast, but just wanted to put that out there. I think BYU is going to be a really good test for Oregon, especially after they face Georgia to start the season. I think it'll be a good way to kind of see where you're at uh, as a team um, because BYU's no knockoff. I mean, I, I told, I said earlier that I think that uh, Eastern Washington is a respectable FCS school, a respectable non-conference matchup. But BYU is going to be tough. BYU is going to be real tough. So I got BYU at number three and then staying in the same state for the second toughest game on Oregon's schedule in 2022. I'm going with the Utah Utes. Plenty of reason uh, to give some respect to Utah. They're coming off their first championship since joining the Pac-12. They return quarterback Cameron Rising, who was one of the top offensive players in the Pac-12 last year. Running back Tavion Thomas comes back. They're returning both tight ends and Dalton Kincaid and Brent Keithy, probably the best, most, most lethal tight end duo in the conference. Potentially, I don't know if I'd go as far as staying in the country because Georgia is absolutely loaded at tight end. Um, but just going through some better, some good players on Utah. You also have cornerback Clark Phillips, who was one of my favorite corners in the 2021 class. He was a former Ohio State commit that Kyle Whittingham and the staff were able to get to flip to the Utes. Uh, and Kyle Whittingham is is really an awesome coach. I'm just going to call it how it is. He is a great, great coach uh, that has really kind of cemented himself as a coach that I think does more with less. Uh, definitely likes to get his kind of guys. 
and he he gets the most out of them and he really develops well with them and there's continuity on that staff um, with Morgan Scaly on that defense but for Oregon man this is a great game to get at home I think that Oregon's absolutely going to be looking for some serious revenge in this game after getting embarrassed by the Utes in 2021 two times um, man that was brutal um, you know you can say what you want about uh Maybe it was a little bit tough for the players because they got the feeling that Mario Cristobal was was on his way out. Impossible to say unless you are on that team and in that locker room. But either way, man, those Utah games have to leave a bad taste in your mouth. Oregon was able to get into the Pac-12 championship game after uh, playing Oregon State after that beatdown, I think it was. They played Utah once and then Oregon State uh, to round out the regular season. And then they played the Pac-12 championship game. I'm pretty sure that's how it went. But uh, this is a game that you really want to get at home. This is the game that you want to get at home. Uh, Utah has really been that team that nobody wants to play in the Pac-12, and they're finally getting some respect, it seems like, after winning their first Pac-12 title game. They were really competitive against Ohio State last year in the Rose Bowl. Uh, both schools had some some guys that were out. Uh, Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigba just had a whale of a game. But Utah was able to keep it interesting, and let's be honest, Ohio State had way more star power way better roster than Utah last year, but they were able to hang in there with them. So Utah is going to be my number two toughest game for Oregon in 2022. And then we're going to round it out with probably the most obvious game here on uh, Oregon's toughest schedule, toughest game next season. Toughest game for Oregon next season is going to be against the Georgia Bulldogs bright and early starting the season on September 3rd at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. I don't think there's any any surprise here. Georgia is the defending national champions, you know, former team uh, for head coach Dan Lanning. He just helped them, helped lead them to a national championship as a defensive coordinator and just pumped out a ton of draft picks onto uh, from that defense, rather. So they are losing a bunch of talent on defense, but Georgia recruits at a top five, top three level year in and year out. So there are so many guys that I'm sure have just been making crazy plays in practice, but um, they just haven't been able to see the field. Or maybe this staff just wants to hold that red shirt and uh, keep them for, for next year. Um, I think that uh, this is going to be a tough game for Oregon for sure, but I, have, I, I think that I'm confident Oregon will at least be able to be competitive in this game after what they did against Ohio State and Columbus. I think that that's a game you got to look, especially if you're playing at the lines of scrimmage, that's a game that's going to be one in the trenches. But hey, remember when we were against Ohio State? They had some big boys in the trenches. We were able to do it. Oregon dominated the line of scrimmage on offense in particular. Don't think I would say that they dominated the line of scrimmage on defense, although they did defend the run very well. They did not rush the passer well at all. Um but looking at Georgia, it looks like Stetson Bennett's probably going to be the quarterback. Uh, I know a lot of people are kind of uh, underrating him as a former walk-on. That's kind of just some of the slander you're going to have to battle against. But they're always strong in the trenches on either side of the ball. So it's going to be huge for Oregon to be able to establish the run and hopefully take away the run. But it's going to be difficult. They have elite skill talent, whether it's wide receiver, running back, tight end. They probably have the deep, deepest tight ends in the country with Brock Bowers, Eric Gilbert, who transfers over from LSU. Darnell Washington is an absolute freak at like 6'7", 260. He came out of the Vegas area. And then you have top 2022 tight end Oscar Delp, also on the roster ahead of 2022. 
we're seeing in the comments here uh, how they're talking about a uh, neutral site. Definitely not a neutral site. Um, Alex is saying that's a home game for UGA. That's definitely uh, how it feels heading into this one. But uh, yeah, this is a, 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 you know, this is a good point that a lot of people are kind of keeping in mind with uh, why Oregon could have a good chance. Not only did they pull off a major upset against Ohio state last year, but Dan Landing knows this team. And obviously if you're Kirby smart and the rest of those coaches, you're going to kind of try to tweak some things here and there to, uh, you know, try to mask some of those and, you know, change some of your tendencies. Mikey G saying definitely, but you know, keep your friends close enemies closer kind of a thing for me. Um, and then another thing that maybe has, uh, you know, an advantage for Oregon or a good thing for Oregon. Uh, Bo has the experience and confidence against, going against Georgia, albeit Bo has not played great against Georgia in his three matchups uh, against the Bulldogs in the SEC as an Auburn Tiger. But either way, this is going to be, this is going to be a really tough game for whoever plays quarterback. And I think it's going to tell us a lot, regardless of how they perform. I think you can take a lot away from how they perform as a quarterback and how they handle themselves mentally, how the team rallies around them, whether it's a, a win or a loss. So I think that that's another pro for Oregon is that they're going against uh, a team that they have a lot of familiarity with. And if Bo Nix is the quarterback, that's definitely going to be uh, some, some uh, familiarity there. All right. What do we have here? Um, Alex says, I thought Oregon would lose to Ohio state last year. Crazy things happened in college football. So happy. I ended up going to Columbus and watching their fans fight each other after the game. Yeah, that was just, you know, everyone was just absolutely stunned. I was I was at the shoe for that one, and it was just kind of pandemonium after the game. You know, you go from one minute, fans are screaming super loud, and then Verone gets that interception and just quiets them up, quiets them down, and then they're able to go ahead and, and win that game. Um, it was really, really big for, for Oregon to get that win for the program, for the Pac-12, to, to just get – we don't even have to think about the Pac-12 anymore. You probably just want to focus on Oregon and making sure that you um, that you just keep making a good case for yourself as a premier brand, premier team in college football. Well, guys, that's all I have for you in this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Went and ranked Oregon's toughest games 12-1 to for the 2022 season. Just, again, a reminder that could change based on what we see in fall camp, what we hear at a uh, Pac-12 media days, but it's going to be a really fun season. And I can't wait for football to be back. We are so, so close to football being back um, and it's going to be a fun time. So uh, make sure that you guys uh, please support the channel as much as you can, um, whether it be liking the video, subscribing to the channel, please make sure to do me a favor and share the Ducks Dish podcast. We're talking friends, family, other Duck fans, whatever you can do. We are trying to grow the show and grow the community here. Uh, on YouTube and at the Ducks Dish podcast. So appreciate you guys for tuning in wherever you're tuned in. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to talk some ball. This is the Ducks Dish podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Take care.